What it do, what it do, world? It's your boy, Jay Hamp. B-Soy in the building. Hunters Podcast. Y'all know what we need to do. First off, we need to smash that like, bang that subscribe button. Need you to share this. Indeed. Shout out to our official sponsor at ILD Clothing. Integrity, loyalty, discipline. Y'all know that's what we stand on. Mm -hmm. Listen, today's a special day for our podcast. Y'all know what we do. We're about giving back to the community. We're about saluting our legends and our kings. And we're, we're, we're especially about shining light on people that's fighting for us. That's right. So uh, what we want to do right now, man, I want to introduce a brother who's, who's putting his life on the line, who's sacrificing his time, mm -hmm. who is tirelessly out here almost every day fighting for the freedom and for just us as a people. For justice. Sometimes I feel like we don't appreciate this brother the way that we should. But this interview right here is a testament of how this brother gives back to his community and pulls up the younger people that are trying to make some of themselves another example of fighting for us. Dig what I'm saying? So listen, beyond any other words, man, I'm humbled and honored, truly, to have Brother Ben Crump join yes, us on sir. the 100 Podcast. Thank you, brother. Thank hey, you for joining us. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Brandon, man, for using your voices to help uplift the culture. That's right. Gotcha. So let's start off like this, man. Back in the day, you know, Moses. Moses had a speech impediment, but he still led his people to freedom. Yeah. Our generation, Moses, speaks with this eloquent Gullah accent. When did you realize the power of your voice? You know, it's interesting, man. I, I was born and raised in North Carolina in my formidable years. And so, you know, the North Carolina public education system is what it is. And, you know, you didn't quite know that you were country until you went outside of the country areas in America. I went to high school in South Florida, and literally everybody on my high school basketball team and everything, once I would talk, they say, oh, he's from North Carolina, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they would start calling me North Kakalaki, yeah. uh, <laughs> which was, you know, kind of cool because Michael Jordan was from North Carolina. Right. And, you know, back when I was in school, high school in 84 and on, you know, he was the man. So it was something that just stuck. And then it was very interesting, Jay. When I became a lawyer, you understand how the most uh, powerful weapon you have as a lawyer is to take somebody in a courtroom and say, if you don't do right, we're going to spank you. Mm. We're going to take you behind the woodshed and spank you. And when you're trying to communicate in a courtroom, it comes down to credibility. It's everything, whether it's you suing uh, somebody who's worth $100,000 or if you're suing somebody that's worth $100 million. It's still about credibility, Brandon. And so one of the things that I discovered early on is that people trust country people more than they trust city <laughs> slickers. And so my country accent that some would have considered uh, a burden actually became part of my uh, arsenal to be able to say, nah, the jury balance of things would say, we just think this attorney Crump is being square with us. We don't trust this fancy lawyer who keeps using these $50 words. Mm -hmm. No, no, we want the person who talks to us 
that we can understand. And so now, you know, as Brother Steve Harvey and others said, hey, man, now nah, you be who you are. That's why we love you. That's why juries uh, keep awarding you these multi-million dollar verdicts. And that's why you keep bringing attention because people want the authentic Ben Crump. Don't ever try to change who you are. And that's my advice to all young people. You know, you always want to improve every day, but you always have to be yourself and never, ever be ashamed of being who you are. That's right. So let me ask you this. You grew up in Lumberton, North Carolina. You were the oldest of nine kids, but it was like a blended family, right? Yes. So tell me how was that growing up? You being the oldest, you got all these siblings underneath you. You the man. You know, parents looking to you for help. And then um, also I read that your, your stepdad was real influential in your life. Yes. So tell us about that. You know, it's interesting, man. Being back here in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, really reminds me, uh, Kurt Walker, of Lumberton, North Carolina, where I was born and raised and where my mother, who had 11 brothers and sisters, uh, was born and raised. And the one thing that I always remember, and it stays with me, Al, and I, I believe most people who have obtained some level of success, no matter how high we get, you always think in the back of your mind, I'm a little black boy from the projects in North Carolina. And that keeps you grounded. Uh, because I, I heard my mother, Helen Crump, who everything I am and everything I am to be is because of her. I mean, I watched my mother sacrifice everything, Brandon. Working multiple jobs. Me correct? and my little brothers, right. yeah. I, she had three sons, uh, me and my uh, brother Vincent, my brother Darren. Vincent is also my fraternity brother. Uh, <laughs> but what was so deep about my mother is she, like most black women, was a miracle worker. Every day she figured out how to keep a roof over our head, food on the table, and hope in our hearts, man. And it's amazing how black women just are able to survive. I mean, with no help, no assistance, they just find a way every day to make it happen. Mm. And I think my mother, she told me something that she indoctrinated into my mind, Jay. And uh, I always think of this constantly. My mother, and I remember specifically when she first told me, you know, we were little ungrateful kids, man. You know, everybody in the projects are starting to get Nikes, uh, Air Jordans. And, you know, we're going back to school, and I'm like, we want Air Jordans. We don't want no... Well, I know <laughs> that story all too well. <laughs> and uh, my mother, you know, I saw the hurt in her eyes and her face. She told me, and I was like, why we can't get, you know, the new Air Jordans? And I said something about it ain't right, it ain't fair. And my mother said, baby, life ain't fair. Life is hard. And it, you don't make it fair unless you bring something to the table. And if you don't bring something to the table, don't expect nobody to let you sit down at the table. And I That's never deep. forgot that, man. That's deep. In fact, when I graduated from Florida State, 
university with my bachelor's degree. The first thing I said to my mother is, Mom, I'm bringing something to the table. Mm -hmm. Because she told me that education was something to bring to the table. Because once you got it up here, Jay and Brandon, she said they can never take it away from that's you. That's right. And and that was my upbringing. And that's, you know, we, my uh, grandmother, who was the greatest influence on my life, was very spiritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's who I am. I, I never try to shy away from who I am. Uh, I'm a country lawyer who is unapologetic in my defense of black life, that's right. black liberty, and black humanity. Indeed, indeed. Well put, brother. What drove you to become a civil attorney, and since then, what has like been your most difficult case? Well, what uh, inspired me to be a civil rights attorney was my personal hero, uh, Justice Thurgood Marshall. Okay. He's my North Star. Uh, a lot of things I do, I'm following the trail that was blazed by Thurgood Marshall and those legendary civil rights attorneys. Um, and when you say my most difficult case, I, you know, I, I think all of them, sometimes people ask me what was my uh, best case or my most difficult case. To me, they all have importance. Um, obviously, the one that brought me to uh, the national spotlight was Trayvon Martin, and mm-hmm. even though... We won in the civil matter. The prosecutor failed to get a conviction, uh, which is something that people have to always remember. As a private attorney, all we can do is sue under the Seventh Amendment for a monetary damages, compensation. The only people who can charge somebody with a crime, prosecute them, and put them in jail is their elected official the prosecutors, the district attorneys. And so people often get that confused. And I I try never to lose any sleep about people's ignorance Mm -hmm. because all you can do is you go look in the mirror and you say, God, I did everything I could possibly do with the blessings you gave me. And I understand my life's mission. Uh, We've never lost a case in none of these cases. Uh, But if you hear some people they don't know that because they, I don't know if they went to high school civics. You know, mm-hmm. it's the prosecutor who have to put people in jail. The perfect example, hopefully, after everybody watched George Floyd case, mm-hmm. they see what me and my legal team did when we got the highest civil uh, pretrial settlement in history versus what the prosecutors have to do. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that may be of confusion to them because Unlike a lot of my white brothers and sisters, I just can't take the money and run. I do want the police to go to jail when they kill black people unjustly. And so I use whatever uh, influence I have to go say, no, no, it's not enough just to give us a a multi-million dollar settlement. Breonna Taylor's killers need to be charged and put in jail. Mm -hmm. And whereas I know most of my colleagues would say, Hey, man, what you care about that? You already got the money. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a daughter. I'm a father. And when they kill Brianna, you'd be less than human if you didn't Feel think something. about the humanity right. that, but by the grace of God, Brandon, you're right. This could be any of our children. 
So this is what it's about, y'all. Always remembering that we have a greater mission than just trying to have material things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, when I think about, I, I know I'm getting a lot of attention and a lot of acclaim, and I, I still try to take it with a grain of salt, Jay, because you know better than most, we treat those two imposters just the same, yes, sir. triumph and disaster. We don't do things because of the result of them. You do the things because it's the right thing to do. Yes, sir. And uh, I, I always remember that. I think about my heroes, Thurgood Marshall and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Uh, man, they talked about them way worse than anything they've ever put on me. And you have yeah. to understand, if you're going to choose to go stand up for marginalized minorities, especially poor black people, man, everybody gonna attack you. Mm. That's history, you know? So so how do you deal with the backlash from the people in the public, police officers, people of authority? How do you deal with that? You know, I, I think about my hero Thurgood Marshall often. I, I really do, man. As bad as some critics may be of me, they were far worse on Thurgood mm. Marshall and Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. People got this revisionist history. I mean, Martin Luther King was the most hated man in America. I mean, the most hated man. You can't tell that now. Right. Because I do believe history will remember us fondly based on we took a stand. It's not very popular to take a stand That's right. in the present day. Mm -hmm. It's only when you're dead and gone do they start saying how courageous that was, how great that was. Um, I think about Thurgood Marshall, man. The NAACP said, man, we need to get rid of that lawyer. He can't win a case. He can't do nothing. And, and think about how great Thurgood Marshall was. So you have to take it with a grain of salt, and you have to remember the height of arrogance mm -hmm. is to think everybody's going to love you. I'm not in this for a popularity contest. I, I believe my life's mission is to do everything I can to try to make America live up to its promise mm -hmm. of equal justice under the law. Right. Now, we've never gotten anywhere close to that in America. And I believe we've gotten as far today as we've ever been. Mm -hmm. And so if at the end of my life, I can honestly say that we move black people in America to getting close, closer to this idea of liberty and justice fall, mm -hmm. then my life and my living would not have been in vain. Gotcha, gotcha. What do you say to, uh, what do you think of African Americans that may speak out uh, contrary to things that you're fighting for, like police reform and equality? Uh, such as the re recent statements by uh, Senator Tim Scott um, and to a certain extent Vice President Harris that America isn't racist. Well, you know, I believe we all have our lived experiences that color our perspectives. Uh, and my lived experiences and my research and my education tell me that systematic racism is a part of everything that is America. Mm -hmm. it, it permeates everything in our society mm -hmm. when you think about it. I, my book, Open Season, mm -hmm. The Legalized Genocide of Colored People, talks about 
the laws, the laws themselves are being used to kill us. And so that's why they justify the police with this qualified immunity not having any consequences or repercussions. That's why they justify banks discriminating against poor people uh, and redlining our neighborhoods to say that we won't be able to get access to capital. That's why they condone environmental racism where black children living in South Central Los Angeles only have a third of the lung capacity as white children living 15 miles down the road in Santa Monica because they have made it legal. They engage in what we call the intellectual justification of discrimination using technical terms to justify that poor people of color are always going to get the most of injustice and the least of justice, Brandon, no matter what the situation is, Jay. Any situation you give us, you will see. They will justify poor people are going to get the least of the justice, period, point blank. And so we have to always keep trying to hold a mirror to America's face to say, look at the hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. So, so, so how do you balance holding the police accountable for their actions but also advocating for their services? You know, I, I don't ever want people to think that we're attacking all police. That's right. Because I think there are a lot of good police out there. I have family members who are police officers. But it's the bad police that we have to deal with. And we can't be shy about it. We have to speak truth to power every chance we get, Jay. That's why I'm so appreciative of you all having this podcast. Thank you. Because we have Appreciate to. It. Speak truth to power. That's right. Harry Belafonte told uh, me and Trayvon Martin's parents uh, when Jamie Foxx had moved us up to the front of the line at the NAACP Image Awards, he said something I thought was so profound. He said, what good is it having influence if you don't use it when it matters most? Mm-hmm. What good is it having this law degree and this legal education and this uh, these legal resources if we don't use it to help That's right. the Pamela Turners, mm-hmm. the Breonna Taylors, the uh, Alton Sterlings, the Botham Jones, the Andrew Browns, the George Floyds, the Anthony McLeans, the Corey Joneses, the Terrence Crutches, Maybe. the Christian Halls, the Stephon Clarks, mm-hmm. the Ezel Fours. The, I mean, the list just goes on and Shit. on and on. Dante Wright, we add into the list. Trayford Pellerin down in Baton Rouge. Uh, Dijon Kenzie out in Los Angeles. I mean, the list keep growing. Andre Hill in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, you know, I say these names so hopefully people will Google them and see the unimaginable ways. Mm-hmm. That the police shot and killed them. Most of the names I named was the police shooting them in the back. In my book, chapter Shabby two. Book. Yep. Yeah, the police don't shoot white men in the back. They don't. But, I mean, black people, it's almost like a cliche. They shoot us in the back almost every week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does police reform look like to you? We're reimagining police uh, 
reform to be a Department of Public Safety. I think we have to emphasize safety over this notion of enforcement. Uh, because what you see far too often, Jay, is when police engage with uh, marginalized minorities, especially black people, they engage in the most excessive use of force. You know, they do the most. We saw that with George Floyd and the $20 bill. That's a misdemeanor. Even if he was uh, uh, known that it was a $20 counterfeit bill, which we don't it's know. not enough to lose your that, life. Yeah, it's a misdemeanor. You didn't even have to arrest him. You could have gave him a notice to appear. Dante Wright, the same way. I mean, the misdemeanor uh, warrant, it's mm -hmm. a misdemeanor. Mm -hmm. I mean, they give you a notice to appear. That's certainly what they do to our white brothers and sisters, but they don't give black people the benefit of the doubt, the benefit of consideration, the benefit of professionalism. They engage in doing the most when it's black people. Mm -hmm. And don't forget the brother here in Virginia who are uh, the, the, yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. veteran. I mean, couldn't have been... More oh, respectful. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, and they still did the most with him, pepper spraying him. Yes, sir. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Being a civil rights attorney, you want some substantial settlements uh, for victims and their families. What do you say to those that say that, you know what, there's no price tag that can be put on a black life loss and that a dollar amount isn't justice? You know, the one thing I would say is it's only – since the early 1980s that black people got any form of justice for when the police killed us. Because, you know, from 1619 all the way to 1980 or 81, a black person never got any relief under what is known as the Seventh Amendment, a right to civil justice. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, certainly... Up to that point, no police officers were going to jail for killing us. So it was the only form of justice that we could get. Mm -hmm. And so they're right. Life is priceless. There's no value you can put on it, but that's the only thing we have to offer in our legal system. Justice would be bringing back the person, but we can't do that. So all we have is a legal system that the only thing the private people can control, the only thing the families can do is sue them under a civil rights wrongful death suit. And I think that gets lost. Yeah. You know. Well, mm -hmm. I, I don't think it gets lost. I think people are so outraged. People, are, they have so much agony that they want to lash out. They just don't know who to lash out to and what to lash out against. That's why one of the things I always try to do, Jay, is engage people, educate people, and empower people. What you want to lash out at is making these prosecutors do their job and being transparent, like with Andrew Brown, you show the video. If the citizen did something wrong, hold them accountable. If the police did something wrong, hold them accountable. It cannot be when they have no evidence at all, they keep arresting people for our community and locking us up and throwing away the key. But then when they have the police and they have all the evidence in the world, they still don't uh, charge them and lock them up. And so 
you have these two justice systems, one for white America and another for black America, when we have to fight to have equal justice for every citizen in the United States of America. So I think people sometimes have their frustrations misguided, Um, especially when you start saying, oh, there's no price tag that you can put on. So what you want the people not to get anything? You know, and, and the funny thing about that is this, Jay. <clears throat> Those people who say that are usually the most zealous if anything happened to them or their family. <laughs> then they want the world. <laughs> but then if it's somebody else, oh, they don't, that money don't mean that. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. So if it ever happened to you, you don't do yeah, nothing do now. Nothing. Just sit there and be quiet. Yeah. And, and, you know, the sad part is this here. I mean, it really gets sad. Sometimes people say, "Oh, all we want is the police to go to jail. We don't want. We don't care about nothing else." Our system is very, very unfair and unforgiving. Oftentimes, if the person is convicted of murder, what all of us are cheering for and are seeking then that means the family is not going to get a penny mm. in the civil suit. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is uh, very unfair, this system. Now, our white brothers and sisters expect and normally get full justice. They get both the civil justice and the criminal justice. And what I continue to argue over and over again is why should black people have to make a choice? Why shouldn't we expect full justice that is promised to us by the United States Constitution? And that's how we have to go back to my hero's words, Thurgood Marshall, even though the Constitution was never meant for us. Well, we're going to make it apply to us anyway because we are American citizens. Mm-hmm. So until... until um the legislative laws change. Do you still think that the police officers are going to continue to do what they're doing right now until the laws are changed? I do, unfortunately, because there's no deterrent. And I don't think it's about de-escalation. I don't think it's about lack of training. I think it's about implicit bias and racism. Because we saw on January 6, 2021, they could de-escalate just fine. When those white nationalists were storming the United States Capitol, the citadel of our democracy. They de-escalated just fine. And, you know, they didn't shoot no tear gas, no rubber bullets. They didn't arrest any of them like they do all the Black Lives Matter protesters and activists. They they didn't do any of that. But let it have been us at that Capitol. Man, you would have, we probably couldn't count the bodies that would have been dead. Laid out. The fact that, you know, they probably would have all been given awards, you mm-hmm. know. So those are the two justice systems that exist in America. What do you say to the families uh, when the police departments aren't forthcoming with the information, when the body cam either is not on or they're not releasing it, as in the case of Andrew Brown Jr. and Donovan Lynch? What do you say to the families when that's happening? And two, what should be the community's response when those things are happening? Um, I, I think 
one of the things we have to do, you know, it's very interesting to me. The police kill on average about eleven to 1,300 people every year. And oftentimes we only come to know about four or five, maybe six of their names every year. And uh, oftentimes as much criticism as I get for uh, fighting in the court of public opinion, which is not something that the traditional legal profession wants us to do. They say, no, no, you're supposed to argue in the court of law. You're supposed to be arguing in the court of public opinion. But where has that gotten us? When you really think about it, uh, following their rules and the way they want us to do things, how has that ever benefited black people? And so one of the things I do is I go try to make it very public. And by making it public, at least they can see the hypocrisy. You know, Johnny Cochran told us once he had a case where he had 100 eyewitnesses. 100 eyewitnesses. And the jury still didn't convict the cop. And, and you know what that tells me? You better make your case public because a judge in a, a corner courtroom where ain't nobody watching, see me back. man, they're going to dismiss your case so quick it's going to make your head spin. And if you ain't got nobody there to show outrage and displeasure, man, your, your loved one's existence on this earth will be forgotten to everybody except you and your family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what was the atmosphere like with the George Floyd family after the verdict was was put out there? Well, you know, everybody could exhale finally mm -hmm. because even though you had all that evidence, overwhelming evidence, right. nobody could take for granted that a white police officer would be convicted of killing a black man in America unjustly. Yeah, no matter how much evidence they had. So, you know, me and uh, Attorney General Keith Ellison literally talked every night uh, during that case. And, and people tried to criticize us for having press conferences and things during the trial. And again, I'm, I'm looking at them and, and I, I, I try to, you know, take constructive criticism. And you try to learn from it and improve and grow. But I kept thinking to myself, Jay, how long? Not having press conferences, where have that gotten black people? <laughs> you know, not making an issue every day on the nightly news. And so, you know, I'm going to continue to do my style and use the Crump playbook mm -hmm. until you, somebody show me a better way to do it. That's and right. then I would kindly say, okay, I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate that, sister. Let's start doing it your way. But until you can match what we've been able to That's accomplish right. – then, you know, we all ears. I, and I don't think I'm the smartest guy in the room. I don't ever want that mm -hmm. position. Mm -hmm. I, I, You know, one of the best things that uh, my law firm has been very successful. We, we have 14 yeah. officers around <laughs> America. We got a $411 million verdict for a black man last year uh, who was in a bad uh, traffic truck accident. And so we've been blessed, very blessed. And one of the things I, I think often, Jay, and this is where the humbleness that I learned from uh, largely Omega and our fraternity plays pays dividends. Brandon, <laughs> it's so funny to me. 
how many times you have a lot of our white brothers and sisters who are opposing lawyers think they're smarter than you, think they uh, have so many more resources. I almost talk down to you. Mm. You just take it all in stride mm. because at the end of the day, long as they writing you a big check, yeah, yeah, you way smarter than me. Yeah, I don't know how these black people keep doing it. At whatever they want to think, long as they got to write a check yeah. to me and my black clients. That's right. I'm fine with it. Think of me what you will. Yeah, I'm with you. So, what advice do you give to young people that want to get out, that want to protest, that want to have their voices heard, but you know they're struggling whether we do this peacefully or, or whether we do the civil unrest right? Well, you know, I, I think every chance I get, the first thing I do is thank the young people and the activists. Uh, because without them, there would be no success, period, point blank. Even with Dr. King and them, without the young people marching, there would have been no Civil Rights Act of 1964. So first and foremost, we have to thank the young people. We have to applaud them because it's their righteous anger that makes us move the needle. And without them, it doesn't happen. I like to think of them as all my co-counsels. You know, we're in mm -hmm. this together. As it relates to whether to do civil unrest that uh, will be construed as a crime, I, I don't want them to get arrested and have a, a criminal history attached to their name if they can't avoid it. I know sometimes they have an abiding sense of conviction to get arrested because I remember the public enemy line. I'm black and I'm proud. I'm hyped as an amp. Most of my heroes don't appear on no damn stamp. Mm -hmm. I, I get that. But, you know, technology is uh, so much more advanced. Once you get that label as a convicted felon, Every Google search they type up on you, the first thing that comes up is a convicted felon. And it's like having a scarlet letter, especially if you're a black person. And so you want to try to avoid that. I think there are ways they can be just as effective mm -hmm. and not get arrested. Now, it's going to be more challenging with all these Republican governors passing these anti-protest legislation in response to George Flores killing as well as what happened in Georgia with black people coming to vote. They're trying to have these voter suppressions and so forth. So what do they do? They said, let's pass uh, voter suppression laws. Let's vote, pass anti-protest laws that literally say, as uh, the brothers were saying, you can drive your car into the crowd and kill somebody and still have immunity. Now, think about how asinine is that. And I know Heather High is here mm -hmm. in Virginia. Mm -hmm. How does that make her mother feel to know that it had this law been in place when they were out protesting? UVA, right? Yeah, yeah, at University of Virginia. That meant that nobody would have been charged. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King said that just because it's legal, that doesn't make it right. And we have to always remember that uh, he said in his letter for Birmingham jail that everything Hitler did to the Jews in Germany was legal. Slavery was legal. 
He said, uh, what you call it was legal. Uh, segregation was legal. All legal. Just because it's legal, that don't make it right. The way they lied on the probable cause affidavit and killed Breonna Taylor in Louisville, they trying to say that's legal. The way they shot Anthony McClain in the back running away, literally running out of his shoes in Pasadena, California, they tried to say that's legal. They continue to try to say it's legal. It, it has propelled me, and I, I start this, I'm starting to say this now, and I see they starting to quote me on it, and uh, I'm sure they attack me for this too, but I, I said it, and I'm unapologetic. I meant it. That's right. I, I often don't refer to it as the criminal justice system anymore. I refer to it as the criminal legal system because there's no justice in this when you start thinking about the ways they've treated black people. Slavery was legal mm -hmm. as part of the criminal legal system, segregation. You know, all this stuff was legal. This uh, qualified immunity, mm -hmm. it's legal. But it's not justice for us. Right. So I don't call it criminal justice. I call it the criminal legal system. So these are my last two questions. All right. I'm gonna merge them together. Because I, I went over 20 go. minutes. Yeah, look, I'm gonna let you talk. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't no, worry. No. I gotta I, get these. Somebody two. said four. But no. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so here we go. How do you balance? You're on the road all the time. I am. All right. Um, you have a wife. You have a daughter. Yeah. How do you balance family time with your chaotic schedule? You know, it's becoming more challenging. My eight-year-old daughter is now starting to call me out on it more and more. Brooklyn will say. I used to could get away, Kurt was saying, uh, well, baby, daddy will be home soon. The little litigator in her said, no, daddy, I don't want to know specifically when you're coming home. And I, I still won't tell her because I don't ever want to lie to my baby. So is, I can't give so her right. a date. You cannot. if you give them a date, they, they will hold, hold you, you to it. it. <laughs> exactly. And then that look on their face, you like, oh, I know, man. All right, so, so, but I have they they're very supportive. They they believe in the work we're doing, and so that helps a lot when they believe in what you're doing. So we've been doing all this talking about laws and everything else. I just want to ask you a real personal question: self care. What type of self care do you do for Ben Crump? You know, it's interesting. I get asked that question a lot more since they wrote an article. I guess in the paper today say. Black America's attorney general is everywhere. <laughs> and, right. Uh, you know, you're on these planes. I I uh, try hard when I get a chance to write. I, I believe in the written word, and it gives me great peace of mind to try to leave a legacy for our oh. children about what we were trying to accomplish That's right. so that they will know that we stood up for them. And so that gives me a lot of peace. I also try to read as much as I can because believe it or not not no knock against television or anything reading is way better than any movie you can watch any music video I mean yeah because your imagination is more important than knowledge think about Thurgood Marshall with Brown versus Board of Education he was imagining a system that had Never existed. Nobody had ever seen how this system would work. But they imagined it. I imagine things on cases, and I think one of the reasons why we're able to get such high verdicts is we imagine ways 
that we can communicate with people and say things that are not being said in this world. Mm. And so that's what gives me a lot of peace of mind. Now, I like to get with J. Frat Brothers and we'll go to Vegas or something and try to pick the football games and the basketball games. And that's fun too, but it's much more peace of mind to me to be able to have time to read and write and think about what we're trying to do to leave a legacy in this world for our children. Because at the end of the day, our whole reason for being is to give our children a better world. That's right. All of our children. Mm-hmm. I feel that. Indeed, brother Crump, is there anything, last words you want to share with the people, anything you want them to tap into, to look out for? Hey, man, just what I tell uh, my frat brother, attorney Carl Solomon, every morning when we call each other, Abanagani, today is another day in the struggle for the liberation of black people. This liberation demands revolution. This revolution is Omega Sci-Fi. Good morning, big brothers of Omega Sci-Fi. <laughs> big Crump. Hey, what it do? Hey, listen, man. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Oh, Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. Listen, yes, sir. I, I wish I wish you prosperity, safety. Absolutely. I wish you energy. I, I just wish you the best, bro. I want to thank you for fighting for us. I want to thank yes. you for giving us the time, even after a long day like today. <laughs> you gave us the time, it was bro. Well worth it's a it. testament to friendship, man. It's a testament to who you are as a man. Thank you. Hey, thank, thank you, you everybody. Hundreds podcast, y'all know what to do. Smash the like, share, subscribe. Shout out to our sponsor, ILD Clothing. Yeah. Uh, we out of this thing, man. Hundreds. Peace.